The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from Burke Reviews, and with me this week is the Kingsman to my statesman. <laughs> Matt from What I Watched Tonight. How you doing, John? Pretty well, sir. I actually did not mess up the intro, and I'm happy with that. <laughs> you did well. You did good. <coughs> I don't know. He's like suffering I... from a cold, and he's still going. I am, and my brain uh, does not function as well as it should when I'm sick, so I hope to not stutter through anything today, but... Um, we are going to be slightly altering the format. We're going to try to limit uh, our reviews to four movies each month, just to keep the time at a reasonable amount. We don't want to, you know, eat up all of your pod- podcast listening time because Matt's got other podcasts we want you to listen to. I've got other podcasts we want you to listen to. Absolutely. So we want to, you know, make sure you get through this. But we're going to look at four major releases from this month of August 2018, and uh, go into pretty in-depth but spoiler-free reviews of each of the four films and then at the end we'll kind of tack on other movies we saw this month and our thoughts uh on them so but before we do that matt how you been not so bad it's um so i'm gonna be same old same old it's a mix between work coming home going out going going to the cinema coming home writing reviews sleeping and repeating (laughs) so i can't complain it's been uh, a busy month. August has been stacked again, but yeah. Films aside, it's been a pretty good month. Thank you for asking. Other than you're cold, how about yourself? Because I believe you've been quite busy this month. I have, yeah. You know, um, my college classes are going really well. The ones that I'm teaching, not attending, um, <laughs> and my regular classes are also going pretty smooth. We just started watching Citizen Kane in my film nice. two class, um, so it's always a little nerve wracking to see how they'll uh, handle you know that type of movie, but. Um, this coming week, we're watching a couple of movies. Um, I'm going to show The Elephant Man to my visual tech class. The uh, nice. and John Hope. That's right, yeah. And I just watched that um, for the first time since I was a kid a few weeks ago prepping for this. And was really uh, blown away by that movie. And then um, my Film 1 classes are going to be watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit um, <laughs> in relation to slapstick genre, which... Is interesting because that film can be studied for multiple genres, but we're we're coming at it from the slapstick angle, um, which I mean, come on, cartoons are like some of the best slapstick. That's not the silent era, you know. That film could be studied just in general because we I know we've spoken about that film before in another show, yeah. And it's such a there's so much in that film which you can study the the villains, the the motives, the characters, the the underlying story, the animation, the work that went into it. How cool Bob Hoskins! There's so much in it. And um, slapstick just another another uh, part of it you can look at, but yep. I'll be interested to hear how that goes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to us uh, to one watching it again. I mean, I've seen it a million times, but it's always fun to revisit. And I like I don't think I've ever shown it with a class, so I'll be kind of curious to see how they react. Some of them have seen it, but some have not, so it'll be cool. It'll be interesting in this. I say this day <laughs> and age it is we are now. What, 20, 30 odd years? Bad hand. How long did that film come out? It's 30 years old now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Wow. Um, and it holds up. It does. And the cool thing is that, uh, you know, Zemeckis has got the uh, Welcome to Marwin coming out this year. Mm-hmm. So it'll be kind of a cool segue for that because 
he does like to do the the hybrid you know realism and um like motion capture now that's been his you know since uh what polar express and then um i think he did the uh the jim carrey's night um oh man see what i'm saying my brain's just like not clicking the scrooge what's, what's the scrooge uh, um christmas carol why couldn't Cr- i think of that <laughs> um i think he did that version too where it's all motion capture and then um he did something else with the motion capture he really got into that whole motion capture uh like real face on animated characters which some people find creepy but you know yeah um i don't mind if it's it's the same as same as any kind of animation or cgi or motion capture as long as it's done well mm-hmm. i i can buy into it and zemeckis gen- generally for the most part does it very well i agree yep so yeah that's um you know mainly what and i i start i switched from the uh, failing movie pass to the AMC Stubbs A list. I am not Bravo. paid to say that, but um, I have enjoyed the A list quite a bit. Although it it is like going to a film festival every Saturday so far. Because last week I went and saw two movies. Yesterday I went and saw three movies. Um, and then and that's kind of my plan. Um, you know, but it does eat up a whole day. Um, but then again, you know, it frees up the rest of the week because I've seen all the big releases by the end of that one day. So. Yeah, it's quite nice to be able to shoot them all out in one day. I was thinking about taking some time off work and just doing exactly the same thing, just getting to the theatre at 10 o'clock and leaving at about 7 and just catching as many films as I can and then yeah. just spend the next day writing about them. And just on that note, I do do other things other than work and then go to the cinema. I do have a life outside of that, but uh, it's just not it's just not as cool as teaching film. Yeah, oh, I'm, I, I can't imagine. I mean... I, I see you post stuff, so I know you do other things, but um, I do spend a, I mean, I don't know how you have time, though, with all the podcasts you're doing lately, so. I try to do one a week now, so I'm giving, giving myself a bit more time. <laughs> that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I've, um, I had to do that with Top 5, because we were doing that and Movie Club weekly, and we went to bi-weekly with Top 5 uh, last year, and that yeah. helped all of us out, because we were all kind of getting burned out, because top five takes a lot more prep because we have to actually build our list and um some of these lists like tonight we're recording uh top five revenge movies nice. um because of peppermint coming out next week yep and uh yeah so like i mean i had to do some research because i'm like well there's a lot of things that you could argue are revenge movies so i had to like go really hunting and i, I think i got a pretty good list I, I like my list for sure and if you haven't seen the films you may have to watch anything up to five films and then that takes a while. That takes that's a whole day's worth of film. Watching. I've I've been lucky so far. I don't. I think only one list where I needed to watch a movie in order to have at least five. Um, yeah. And it's happened a couple times to Corey, where like she barely scrapes a five movie list. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's 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 always kind of challenging, and I try to theme it to what's coming out or um, something you know like that. So, uh, yeah. it, it you know it eats it eats up some some real lifetime. I can vouch for the top five show. It's a marvelous show. So anyone's listening and hasn't heard it, go listen to it. And uh, it looks like two um, little. If you haven't listened to top five, Matt joined us uh, back early in um, April. April, uh, I think, yeah. Doing the summer fantasy draft, and it looks like mm-hmm. Matt and I are both going to lose, even though I had <laughs> Avengers: Infinity War. I uh, know. Uh, but Mike, man, he's gonna pull it out, I think, because of uh, Incredibles two, and I think he had Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, um, I think he did. And those are the two because he had Gotti, man. He had Gotti, <laughs> and he wouldn't switch his, he wouldn't change from Gotti. No. So no. 
he even with Gotti on his list that only made four million. Um, I I picked Blind Spotting, which is still my favorite movie of the year, but it did not do well in the box office. Um, even though it's got great critical scores, which by the way I think it's coming to the UK in October. Yes, so it is. Well, I had Solo, Mission Impossible, uh, and Mamma Mia, and films like that, and on uh, the first push, th- films that should have made a decent amount of money, and Solo. Oh, I could have, I, I could, what, with, with what's left in my bank balance, I could probably, that they probably take that just to increase its box office, and it's not much, I tell you. Yeah. But, you, yeah. If, if Solo had done the numbers that any of, like, not not Force Awakens numbers, but if it had done, Even like, Rogue seven, One. just 700, 800 mil. Yeah, you, you'd have had it, I think. Um, I think but, Mike's pulled the underdog story out of the bag, though. Yeah, and oh, Corey and I talked about this on Movie Club, but... I, I don't know if you've listened to uh, an, enough of Top 5 to get a, a feel for the type of movies Mike watches, but yeah, Corey, yeah. And, Corey and I are concerned because that is the wager, is that the winner gets to pick a movie for the other people to watch. Yes. So, I, it's, it's odd that you mentioned that because this morning I was thinking about that because I, I hadn't checked the leaderboard in a few weeks and I did check it. I, it's, it's one of those things where as soon as you mention it, it's like horrible deja vu. I thought, I was thinking about this this morning <laughs> and I was wondering... What is the forfeit going to be, and how are we end up, how are we going to come together and discuss that? Yeah, it's it's I'm I'm concerned um, with what Mike <laughs> will make us watch. Uh, I'm hoping it, it, we do have some ground rules with what you can pick. Like he has to make it accessible to us. Like we shouldn't have to drop thirty dollars on a Blu-ray to like see it. So I think we're safe with like Sallow, which is a Criterion mm-hmm. film. Um, that's supposed to be really brutal to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something that's like available on Netflix or whatever, I don't know. He may he may be kind because like last year I made him watch Hudson Hawk, but I generally like Hudson Hawk. So even you though do they, like that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so you know it wasn't like I picked something that I hated to make them suffer through it. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll get a little bit of that kindness reciprocated. Because uh, I I was reminded yesterday um, we had did an, another like game like this back with the Oscars. And Mike, Corey, and I also have to watch Boo 2, Medea's Halloween, um, before the end of the year. So, like, we're going to have to hit that up here soon. So, I've already got one. stretched it out till three quarters of the way through the year. (laughs) I still haven't watched it. Yeah, I actually forgot all about it until it was brought up to me. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, Luckily, and I've forgotten all about it. I own it uh, because of our (laughs) local cinema. Um, They had a a special. uh, If you saw four movies, you got the digital copies for each one. I just bought my ticket for it. I didn't go in. You know, I just was like, I want the other three movies. So I'll buy a ticket. Studios are winning. Yeah, so. <laughs> we'll watch this face, guys, <laughs> because we're going to have to have a forfeit soon. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, man. Mike is going to torture us. I, I'm concerned. <laughs> so, but we do need to move on. Um, those are our other podcasts. And uh, what I watched tonight show, um, we're we're on everything. You can find us on whatever platform you are uh, interested in, including Anchor.fm, which I do like yes. to mention because I've, I'm very happy with that host. Um, and I've had four different podcast hosts, I think, at this point. So, uh, so far, Anchor has won me over. Yep, I'm a convert, thanks to John, and I'm very happy with the service that they provide. It's very easy, and um, yeah, no complaints so far. So, Anchor, Anchor FM, thank you. Keep Keep up the good work. Yes. All right. Well, Matt, are you ready to jump into the movies of August? Absolutely. All right. We're going to start by looking at um, one of the later releases in the month, um, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, directed by John M. Chu, stars Constance Wu, Henry Golding, which introduces Henry Golding 
who's going to have a pretty big year, by the way. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. his other movie that he has coming out is the, A Simple Favor. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, two big movies back to back. Michelle Yu, uh, And then the, the names kind of start, to me, they're out of order on IMDb, but Aquafina's in it. Um, Henry Soon Jr., Ken Jeong, who barely gets any screen time, but is hilarious, I thought. <laughs> um, same thing, Jimmy O. Yang. I don't know if you watch Silicon Valley, Matt, on uh, HBO. Uh, no, I haven't seen it, no. I know uh, of it, of course. But... I am a huge fan of that show. It's one of the few shows that I like actively will watch while it's on. Like I'll watch it through the season kind of thing. And um, he's Jimmy o, Jimmy O. Yang is hilarious on that show, but he's extra funny, uh, I think, in this. Um, and then, to me, the other one uh, worth mentioning... Well, I want to make sure I get the uh, sister. Oh, uh, Gemma Chan. It might be Gemma. I'm thinking Gemma. It's, it's probably Gemma. Jay. It's Gemma. And then, um, because she's she's got a major element to the the movie. And then I think oh Oliver. I I really liked Oliver or the character Oliver in the movie. Uh, Nico Santos. I thought he was also really funny. I thought him and Aquafina um gave the best uh comedic performances in the film. Um. It is a rom-com, although I definitely say it's much heavier on the romance than the comedy. Um, there are some genuinely funny moments, though, in the film. Again, a lot of them fall to the side characters. Ken Jeong, who is Aquafina's father in the movie, I thought the whole scene with the family... I don't remember the uh, the son's name or Aquafina's brother's name in the movie, but he was hilarious, too, just like with him snapping pictures of Constance Wu's character. Um, that There were several scenes that just cracked me up, even like at the dinner table, but... Um, I was, I was generally, I love both, uh, Rachel and Nick. Those are the, the lead characters. Again, that's Constance Wu and Henry Golding. Um, I, I found Henry Golding to be extremely charming and like won over the audience that I was at the theater I was in, but won me over too. And Constance Wu, I have not seen, um, her TV series, which I think is called, uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Um, but I've heard good things about that show and i after seeing this movie i'm i'm sold they these are two highly quality lead performances um that completely won me over even though there are some stuff in the movie that i think could have been trimmed out especially because this is a romantic comedy that runs at two hours which is 15 minutes too long at least um for most rom-coms and there is a storyline that i won't say what happens but it involves astrid uh who is nick's sister in the film that I think would have made the movie stronger had it not been there. But um, I, I really enjoyed the movie, though. When it was all said and done, I, I thought it was a really solid film. Um, I hear talk of a sequel because of the success that it's having, and I guess it's a series of books as well. Um, I'm not sure that I need a sequel, but I really did enjoy this particular film. Um, and, I mean, the cinematography in this movie is gorgeous. Uh, seeing Singapore and all of its, you know, sites and the the different beach trips that they go to it's it's a gorgeous movie on top of it being entertaining yeah i mean i just got out of watching this film about i got out of about an hour ago so i'm literally fresh from seeing this film and i'd heard an awful lot of people <laughs> saying that you know this is a this is one of the better films of the year and you see the box office drop of like three or four percent week to week so you know the, the people are going back to see it it's making a heck of a lot of money. It's 138, 130.8 million worldwide, which for a rom-com at any time is fantastic. And the key part of that is 110 million is stateside because it's only just being released internationally. So this will go on to make good numbers. 
And as you mentioned, it's for good reason. It's a, just a very good film. It's everybody likes the sort of Cinderella story as well, which kind of helps. Yeah. But what I was worried about with this, with this film was that it would fall into the cliche that you see every rom-com fall into. And well, there, of course there are always going to be aspects of that, but it kind of subverts it and takes some things away and adds some things in. So it doesn't quite go the way you expect at some points. I did leave, I will say I did leave the cinema feeling very happy. Uh, it mm-hmm. did give me a lot of joy just watching it. But um, yeah, I absolutely agree. Ken Jong, who I believe has been assigned a Netflix comedy stand-up series. So we're oh. going to be seeing more of him on Netflix as a stand-up. Yeah, the, there's a particular scene, a dinner scene, you know, yeah. a third of the way through, which is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I was in stitches watching it. And as you mentioned, a lot of that is down to um, the brother, Astrid Leong, Zhao's brother, Gemma Chan. He, yeah. it doesn't. Start, I don't think he says anything for the whole film. He's just, he's sit, he's just there in silence, snapping pictures, and just Be, staring. Being awkward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just a young, <laughs> younger brother who's got a crush on uh, Rachel Chu slash Constance Wu, and who can blame him? And but he didn't say anything. It, it's. I had a like you mentioned about the comedy. There are moments in this film, mainly from Ken Jeong, um, and that part of the family. Uh, and Aquafina's character, they mm. provide the most of the fun. Uh, I also agree about Henry Golding as well. I, I found myself falling for Henry Golding during this, Nick Young during this, because he was so, such a charming man, such a gentleman. He, he, yes. Uh, yes, he's everything I aspire to be, that man is, and he looked damn good as well. But uh, story-wise, it's, yeah, it's pretty strong. Like, as you get there, are, it is too long. That doesn't mean it's too long as a negative for the film, but it yeah. is... As you say, there are chunks which you could do without potentially, you know, parts that you could take out and it wouldn't really affect the overall narrative, but maybe it would affect, you know, some of the feeling you get at the end of it. But mm. overall, though, I having just come out of seeing this film, I I really, really enjoyed it. And I like rom-coms. I know you're a big um, advocate yeah. of rom-coms. I do enjoy them, but I will say I've had a great time with this. And what I also liked was it was just a straight up film. You know, representation matters. We all know that. But this was a fantastic cast. But yeah. it wasn't about where the cast came from necessarily. It was just a damn talented group of actors and actresses coming together and giving us a very good film. What? And John Chu, from, uh, who also is obviously a massive fan of Justin Bieber, <laughs> he directed the Bieber films and Step Up, uh, gave us a very good rom-com. He did. And um, according to the Slash Filmcast, a podcast that I listened to, um, this was the uh, first american film in 25 years to have an all asian cast and that's pretty crazy when you hear that um like scale wise and um you know the success that it's getting is is great because it it shows the studio that they can one trust um characters or actors who maybe i mean because henry henry golding this is his debut Mm -hmm. so no one's coming in with a built-in audience here it's People are going to it because they were they were sold by the mar- the marketing. They were sold by maybe the book um, helps, and um, they were sold word of mouth. You know that people will go to the movies if it's if you give out quality product, um, people will pay. And this is on the verge of Movie Pass, you know, tanking here in the states after uh, doing so well for a year, um, mm-hmm. almost exactly a year to the date. Actually, they started ha- floundering and. Um, so people, a lot of people are canceling it. I know there's still a lot of people who have stuck with it. Um, AMC offered their their 
alternative and then Cinemia, who is another company yep. um has really stepped up as well but people are flocking to the theaters and i'm sure a lot of them don't have one of those services right now and so you know i, I hope this will we'll get to see more diverse movies like this where it won't just be all white people um said by a white man who is very much aware that uh that is a a bad trend in hollywood and i i don't know that we i want to see every movie being one race like I, i'd love to just see more actors getting roles period like a, a you know diverse cast in movies um but until that's a norm i'm glad to just see you know new faces uh getting performances because again these both uh, both the leads are fabulous and aquafina i've seen twice now this summer because she was also in um, oceans eight and I, i've enjoyed her in both movies so yeah i mean this is the this has been has been a good year for that you know diversity if you will and representation obviously black panther this is another film we're going to talk about later on which mm-hmm. also has a has uh, something some representation attached to it but um yeah come on let's let there'll be a time one day where we this is just the norm but like as you say until then it does get bored up and sort of held up as a as a badge to put on a film which mm-hmm. is, is wrong in some ways but at the same yeah. time let's celebrate it for what it is um on the i'll just quickly go back on the talk of a sequel there is it the sequel is actually in the works now it's pretty much confirmed as being yeah. com- been done <sighs> if it wasn't for the fact that it was a series series of books then i would be questioning that not because Me i don't too. want to see a sequel but i don't always believe that you have to have a sequel i do i like the idea that a story can have a beginning a middle and an end and without end. yeah yeah have, have an end without then having to then say well, actually five years later i don't know this happened this happened this happened and now everything's in turmoil, and then have to, everything's got to be great. I, I like <clears> the <throat> film as a standalone film, as it is, and on um, oh, Aquafina, Aquafina as well. I mean, it was good to get to see her do something because I mentioned in our previous show when we covered Ocean's Eight that she was, you know, kind of relegated to not even a supporting character. She's kind, she's just kind of there. I thought she's underutilized in that film. So it's good to see her given more to do in this film, and I think she did very well. But yeah, the two the two leads, were fantastic, but. As an ensemble cast, I think everybody, everybody was fantastic. When when Ken Young came on, that the audience just laughed as soon as he came on screen. He didn't even say anything barely. He's just recognised as that guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was the kind of standout that the audience reckon my screening recognised. But as he say, he really get he's only in it for a short amount of time. But yeah, the two leads yeah. are going to go places. I think. Yeah, and we haven't really talked about Michelle Yu, uh, who was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, I think Super Cop, and yeah, uh, one of the Bond movies. Um, one of the Bronson movies. I don't remember which one. Uh, Die Another Day, maybe. I think it was Die Another Day. Unfortunately, yes. I mean, she is notorious for like kicking butt on camera, and here she kicks butt, but not physically. Like she's a dominating, powerful force as uh, Nick's She'll mother. Kill you with a glance. Yes, and there's so many really cool exchanges in the movie. Um, the first time. She meets um, Constance Wu's character in the kitchen. I just, I love that that scene. Even just seeing all the food, because I am, I'm a foodie. Uh, I'm with you there, man. Some of the food in that movie, I was like, oh my god, I wish I was there to like experience all these different flavors. But the um, smell, yeah. <laughs> the it was a really, I can't get over how gorgeous that movie really was though, because there's so much like, um, you get to see so much of the culture, and it's not. I never felt like it was uh, touristy either. Though. Like it didn't take time to explain things. 
it just you just move through the world that the characters live in and you you experience yeah. it with them um and i thought that was really great yeah the parties looked stunning though because he got to because what we mentioned is uh henry golden's character nick young he comes from the pretty much one of the wealthiest families uh on this side of the, on that side of the planet so he's uh his family's very wealthy and they, that kind of plays into it because obviously they he then attends the lavish parties with the very rich people who only care about themselves, money, and freebies, um, which yes. at times can be infuriating to watch people with that kind of attitude. But yes, uh, cinematography-wise, this film looks lovely. Some of the colours are so vibrant and just mm-hmm. delicious to look at. Um, and of course, when you're in those glitzy, glammy scenes it's quite hard not to be taken aback by just how stunning it all looks. But yeah, I think the MVP was the food because some of that looked awesome. Yeah. And I guess there is, um, they're there, they go to Singapore for his, uh, Nick's friend's wedding. Yes. And the wedding itself is, I don't know if they actually have weddings like that, but it was crazy extravagant. Like, I don't like, I don't even want, I don't want to spoil the visuals, but I was just like, do they do that? Do people like have, that happen like uh, i don't know but if they do wow yeah it was it was a gorgeous wedding sequence um oh man i was very like okay well um that will top anything i can ever imagine like (laughs) yeah if anybody out there if anyone taking your dates to see this film you they will leave with raised expectations so just beware yes you're thinking about getting married anytime soon Maybe just wait a few months for the Blu-ray until you've got married and everything will be just fine. And my wife really wants to see this movie and I did not, I went without her. Um, did you go by yourself? I did, yes. <laughs> is uh, is your lady interested in seeing it? Um, I'm not sure she's even heard of it. Oh, uh, wow. if, I told her, if I told her it's a rom-com, she probably would be more interested in seeing it. So now that I think it's quite good, it's probably more chance of that. <laughs> True. True. All right. But well, then I, think... I see that scene, and I think I probably shouldn't. <laughs> oh yeah, it. yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, I think that's all I've got for Crazy Rich Asians. What's up next? What's up next? Ah, the Meg. Finally, we get to the giant shark film, The Meg, uh, starring Jason Statham, Lee Bingbing, Rain <laughs> Wilson, Ruby Rose, Winston Chow, Cliff Curtis, and Shuya Sophie Kai. Directed by, oh, I always butcher this guy's name. I'm doing a book now. John Turtletop. Yep. Turtletop. I think that's right. Uh, of, of Cool Runnings fame. Um, yeah, The Meg. This is a film which has seems to be, it's been in development hell for the best part of a decade. And it's kind of had Jason Statham attached to it for the last few years. It's, it seems to be his kind of passion project, which, you know, is odd about, in a, about a film like this. Yes, by a seventy-five foot prehistoric shark. But I guess the first thing to get out of the way is is no, it's not as good as Jaws. Uh, so I'm going to get that <laughs> out of the way now. But um, <laughs> the Meg. It's funny because I it, it, it's this kind of film which you absolutely have to approach with. I don't even want to sound open mind, but just just to have fun. We've mentioned films like Pacific Rim and things like that where don't go in expecting to see, as you mentioned, Citizen Kane or whatever. Go in and have a good time, and if you still don't have a good time, then you know it's really bad. But I went into the Meg with an open mind and hoping just to be, just to enjoy a killer shark terrorising anybody who comes in his way. And for the most part, I was pretty pleased with what I got. I I understood that it was, you know, a cheesy 
beef flick which bordered on Sharknado territory at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I had a good enough fun with this film. It Some of the writing's a bit iffy and how things get from A to B to C are very iffy as well. And I've mentioned to John before outside of the pod, but I'm not an advocate for violence and action and gore in films unless the story calls for it. But I think that Meg, crucially, was held back because I believe it's a PG-13 in the States. It's a 12A in the United Kingdom. So um, Had it been bumped up to the rated R or the 15 over here, I think that would have allowed for, I don't know, just more terror because the Meg itself, I mean, I'm not going to go into the Meg, actually what the Megalodon does, whatever, but I think it just could have had a bit more to it, a bit more fear attached to it. But, I mean, in the film, there's some great looking shots. There's a brilliant shot. Some of them are in the trailer. The the acting is, you know, it's it's okay. Uh, apparently, Lee Bing Bing's forty six, which makes me feel ridiculous because she looks fantastic for forty six. I'm going to say that now, but but the MVP of the show was uh, Shuya Sophie Kai. She must be only about ten or twelve years old, but she was fantastic as the uh, as the young girl in this film who kind of who, who manages to get through to Jason Staten. He's who is a uh, research diver, I believe, in the film. But she, to me, was the best part of the film. Jason Statham is Jason Statham. He's just basic. This is a vehicle for him to take his shirt off, show <laughs> everybody how well well toned he is, attack a shark, and be the hero. It's kind of what it is here. But I don't know. I I enjoyed it. It wasn't as bad as I uh, worried it might be. It wasn't as good as I kind of hoped it would be. But I did enjoy this film and. Uh, if you like films about giant sharks, then you're probably going to enjoy this. What about you? How did you think? Well, you, you definitely you took a lot of my ideas um, out of my mouth in a good way. Um, I agree with uh, Shoya uh, Kai. I thought the I, I was dreading the kid because child acting is hard mm-hmm. and there are a yes. lot of bad child actors out there. So when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, boy. Um, but she was charming and her the, the rapport she gets with Statham is, is fantastic. Um, and I gotta say, for the action stars we have right now, I I am drawn to Statham. Like I I don't watch all of his movies, but when I, everyone I can think of that I've seen, I tend to really like him in the movies. Um, like I like Transporter when that first came out. It's been a long time since I've watched it. I think I skipped three. I think I might have saw two. Um, I really like Snatch a whole lot. Um, yes, and, and he's like a big reason of that. And I've I've not watched the last couple of uh, Fast and Furious movies. I know he's a part of them now. Um, and I gotta say, after watching this, it kind of makes me want to go give those those movies a try with him in it um, because I do I I, I like him. Um, and I was comparing him to The Rock uh, when watching this because The Rock had skyscraper and they were in the Furious movies together and they're supposed to be doing a spinoff movie um, with yes. this, those two characters and. I, I was thinking the thing I like about Statham is he's he's willing to be a, a screw up where the rock is always perfect. Um, you know, the, like think of Good the point. rock's heroic characters. That's one of the things I really hated about Skyscraper was that there was no question that everything was going to be OK. Like there's no real stakes with the rock because he's the rock. Statham, he's he's expendable to a degree. I mean, he is literally one of the expendables, but he's also, you know, I think his character in this movie especially is flawed and is willing to, you know, he's going to make choices that maybe you wouldn't want your hero to make. And I think that makes it more compelling. Um, um, yeah, I, I agree with that, yeah. 
that said, though, I think uh, the movie doesn't seem to 100% know what it wants to be. Um, and I think that's why it's not as good as it could have been. I, I did enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I didn't hate this movie by any means. Like, of the most recent shark films, this one's higher up on the list and, like, 47 meters down from last year. I think I think Shallows is... I think it's better. I think the Shallows is better because it's consistent, I think, with its tone. I feel like the Meg's tone is up and down. Um, it wants to be, like, taken seriously, like, a, almost like Jaws at times, and then other times it wants to be Sharknado, and it doesn't, it does not do a good job of balancing those two tones, um, which I think it could do. Um, you know, you can have campiness and also have horror, and I don't think it does either of those strong enough. And, um, like, Rain Wilson's character especially feels out of place um, in the movie. Like, they weren't quite sure what he was supposed to be, because um, he, he plays, depending on the scene, depends on what type of character he is. I'm trying not to spoil yeah, anything, yeah, but yeah, you, see. you see what I'm saying? Like the role that his character plays in the story fluctuates throughout the film based on where they are pushing the story. If they're pushing it towards campy over the top shark movie, his character is cracking jokes and making little snide comments. Um, if they're pushing the horror then he's playing that, that, that side of the character. And it, it, it just kind of reflects the imbalance of tone I did like Bing Bing Lee, though. I thought um, there were moments there with her and Statham that I also thought were really well like put together. Yeah. Um, I thought Ruby Rose, uh, in general, I feel like Ruby Rose is... Her persona um, comes into the film, and I can't look at her and not be like, oh, you're Ruby Rose. You know, like, there's no character to me. It's just, oh, you're Ruby Rose. And... If you've seen her other films um, that she's done recently, like she's in John Wick 2, Resident Evil, whatever the last one was called. I don't even remember. Um, uh, and, yeah, whatever it was called. The yeah. end. And she, Yes, thank goodness it's over. Um, <laughs> and then she was in a couple other movies like that where she's just kind of a throwaway character. Um, I thought they did some interesting stuff playing on those other roles with this film. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I definitely thought it was. And... Um, there's some Jaws references, which you're going to get in every shark movie. Um, they always pay homage to Jaws, but there was one in particular that I thought was kind of, um, I thought it was really cool. I don't know if everyone else has caught it, and I don't want to say it, because it's, it's not a spoiler, per se, but it does, you know, it gives away something from the movie. I look forward <laughs> to hearing that when we, when we go off air, then, to make sure we're thinking about the same thing. Okay. About Ruby Rose's character... I yeah I I kind of nodded and gasped in acknowledgement because I was I was going to say that a character just doesn't really seem to fit in the film. I know that every kind every film needs that that kind of character as mm-hmm. she brings, but I don't know. I just thought it was just it just didn't work. You know, I didn't I didn't need this kind of faux <laughs> punk rock person in the film. Just didn't really yeah. gel with the rest. Like you say, tonally. It just didn't really gel with everybody else in the film. And you know, yes, you have to have that sort of different uh, breed of characters, but I don't know. There's something about her presence in the film. Not that I dislike her. No, not, not at all. But in this mm-hmm. film, yeah, same. It, it, it just same. didn't feel right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I liked uh, Bing Ling Lee as well. I thought she was. I thought she brought something to this film, and surprisingly, yeah, she did actually have uh, her and the Stath, Jason Statham did actually have some. So chemistry, they, mm-hmm. they they worked well together. Um, what didn't have chemistry was Jason Statham's accent. 
I don't know what he was trying with that. If he was English, Australian, Welsh, I've no <laughs> idea. But he was all over the scale with his accent in this film. But really, every time he spoke, because I came out <laughs> and I actually had to question where he was from. I actually had oh, to, I Googled where in the world, because I thought, is he Australian? And I'm just ignoring this. But no, he's from uh, the Midlands in, in, in England. So uh, they have a very uh, broad accent, shall we say, in that part of the world. And he sounds nothing like that. So his accent... <laughs> It was, it was something else. But yeah, the, there are plenty of Jaws references. I think it's kind of heresy to not have some kind yeah. of Jaws references. And there are some. There, there, there are some fun moments in this as well. It's not just, as you mentioned, it is kind of campy, and there are some fun little moments uh, mm-hmm. all throughout the film, which some are in the trailer, some are not. But my biggest drawback from the film is that there just isn't enough of that. What Jaws did so well was gave you that terror. That fear, yeah. And whilst the megalodon itself is a terrifying idea, and the shark itself, and you know the the steps they do to they, they take to explain it and its origins and where it got to be where it did, blah blah. It does build up the mystique, and I certainly wouldn't want to face. I wouldn't want to face a seven and a half inch shark, let alone a seventy five foot shark. For but real. There's, I just what the shark and the shallows did it quite well as well. I think they kind of built up the shark as a character in itself and a villain something you don't want to be messing with. But I just thought the Meg could have done a bit more with the Meg itself yeah. to really I, kind of make it this fearsome killer. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I do want to also note, there's a, this cast is pretty big anyways, but Cliff Curtis doesn't get a whole lot to do. But like when he's when he's getting his moments, I do find him to be like someone I would watch. You know, like he's entertaining... Um, I don't know if charming's the right word. He's enthusiastic though, and I, I like I bought into his character. Um, like when he goes to get Statham, like the he's got like a little bit of an edge of like comedy to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that. I, I feel like his character was on the same page with what the movie could have been. Like if it had just focused in on that, um, this is a ridiculous premise, and it's a monster shark. Let's have a little bit of fun. I mean, be be afraid but like comically afraid you know like yes people are gonna die but it's a giant shark so that's gonna happen yeah not quite a black comedy but i know exactly what you mean yeah a a not uh, yeah not shark <laughs> made by any means a fun mm-hmm. film but which has that those thriller moments to it that's what it could have been and i'm not saying i'm not going to sit there and say how they could have done it better of course but there i think there are if they if they were to sit down a round table and rewatch the film, and I think they'd be having a similar discussion in terms of where were we trying to take this? Yeah, um, yeah, and what could we have done necessarily to make it what we wanted? Because it's clear that they wanted it to be that kind of Jaws esque thriller where you're terrified to enter the water, blah blah blah. But it just didn't fully come off that way. Audiences, however, may disagree because it's made what four hundred sixty two point eight million dollars worldwide. Yeah. I say only, but 120.5 of that comes from the state. So worldwide, people are flocking to see this massive shark. So it's caught people's imaginations. And it's, it is that kind of some silly summer blockbuster. This one works more than others, I think. I'm not going to sit there and say it's perfect and it works, but for what it brings, it was bought out at the right time of year because I know it, had, it was meant to be released in I think like March, I think, or something, but it's been pushed back and back. And I think it kind of belongs in this at this time of the year. Yeah, I agree. Um, came out at the right time of year for sure, and it was yeah. again, it was fun. Um, 
could have been better, but still not a, not a horrible experience. But I think maybe better than I went in expecting it to be, you know? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. But now the next movie on the list, um, I think, is uh, pretty uh, pretty up there in my viewing for the year. Um, we, we watched Searching, um, directed by uh, Anish Giganti, is what I'm going to go with. Um, Mr. One. Stars John Cho, Deborah Messing, Joseph Lee, and Michelle Law. Um, and I get I think Sarah Sohn deserves to be uh Yeah there because oh man. Um this is a film uh I'll read the IMDB plot summary for this one. After a sixteen year old daughter goes missing, a desperate father breaks into her laptop to look for clues to find her. I feel like that word breaks into is an overstatement. Um, as she left her laptop and he just opens it, there's no password. But um, he does use her laptop to, uh, get into her social media and stuff to try to figure out what happened to her. Um, this, this is another film like, um, Unfriended or Unfriended Dark Web where it is all on the computer screen, but what, uh, our director does differently that really stood out to me instantly from like the first 30 seconds is he's using film language to tell the story despite it being on a computer screen. So, mm-hmm. um, Unfriended, both of them. We are seeing the entire screen of the computer the whole time. So we only change our angles or perspective by windows moving or enlarging or whatever. Here, um, we are zooming into parts of the screen. So uh, if we're on a FaceTime call, he will zoom into part of the FaceTime call like, and then cut to the other one. So we have reverse shot, reverse shot. We have zooms. We have, you know, we're utilizing almost like a Ken's Burn-esque um, still image, you know, push in, pull out, uh, rotation to keep us moving. And it feels more like a movie than I think the unfriended films do. It feels like we're watching a computer screen when we watch unfriended. This feels like watching a movie that happens to be on a computer screen. Um, and I was really impressed with that. And I see it as the evolution of this, what initially I thought was just going to be a, you know, a passing fad, a gimmick, you know, one-time deal. Now it seems um, like this could become a style of film, like found footage films. Um, I mean, in a way, this is a type of found footage film, um, or at least in that the way the the footage is shot. But um, this the gimmick I do, I do think for the most part um, adds to the story because we are seeing it the story the mystery of what happened to his daughter unfold on the screen and as he finds things. Sometimes we don't see him. We just see computer uh, elements, like we're we're looking in a we're looking at Facebook or we're looking at a spreadsheet. Um, but I I I never felt bored at all in this movie. I was very invested in the story. Um, what I I will note is that as a thriller, I never felt like I was on the edge of my seat. Um, like uh, with Unfriended Dark Web, I was stressed out and like uh, paranoid when I left the movie about technology. Um, that does not happen with searching, but I don't know that, I don't think it's trying to do that either, but I do think it's a very, very compelling mystery. Um, I am concerned for the characters because you do get to know the characters very, very well. And, uh, John Chu and Deborah Messing get the most screen time, John Chu getting the most. Um, and I thought both do, uh, a lot with this movie. Deborah Messing has this monologue, um, where she's trying to reassure John Chu. And I, I was really, really impressed with the delivery of it. Um, she cheers up a couple of times in conversations and I really buy, I really believe the emotion there. And same thing. Uh, John Chu is like 
he has to display every possible emotion you could imagine from the initial time he talks to his daughter and he's being a scolding parent um, to the flashback uh, video sequences that we see on his computer where he's happy and everything is fine to the anxiety and fear and paranoia um, anger that he has while trying to figure out what's happened to his daughter. Um, I, I, I was really, really, really impressed with this movie. I think I, I thoroughly loved it um, and uh, was surprised by many aspects of it. So um, that was my kind of take on searching. What, what about you? Yeah, I, I went into this film again with the knowledge that people were talking about it. It was getting festival reviews, uh, rave reviews and, getting touted as this, that, or the other. Um, so I went in knowing that, but I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't aware of how it was shot. I didn't, I hadn't picked oh. up on that part of the marketing. Cause again, I'd, I'd heard the buzz, but I'd never, I never read the buzz. I don't, if I'm going to go and watch this film, which everybody's talking about, I don't want to know what people are saying about it. If it's, if, if, you know, if I find out people are positive, fine, but I don't want to know why. So, um, I liked the style of it, and I know that um, Shiganti and his partner, or his writing partner, Seva Ahanian, <coughs> they've got like 20 or 30 of these types of films written yeah, shot in that. this kind of computer. So it's for them, it's a genre which isn't going anywhere. When it's done well, it works. And this film, Searching, utilises so many different ways to keep the audience invested, from the old Windows 98 computer, mm-hmm. almost like the evolution of computers through the old emails, the old YouTube, the old Windows media player and things like that, which was a fun throwback to it that was. time of uh, like the early, late ni- mid to late 90s. Um, I was impressed how they managed to keep the, again, for want of a better word, gimmick going. It was it turned to Some parts were very clever, how they utilised keeping John Show on screen, uh, and not ha- not having it seem ham-fisted or over the top, I didn't for one moment think any of it was a bit too much, apart from maybe a bit further on in the film. But for the most part, I think they handled that really well. As you mentioned, John Show is so good in this film, and I've mentioned mentioned to you that yesterday or the day before, he's come a long way since the Milf guy. Yeah, but he is such so good. He's so good at that the kind of performance with he's as acting. He doesn't have to say anything, but when he's just acting with his himself, his face, his body language, he's just so good, I think. Mm. And I think he's very underrated as an actor. And mm. we've mentioned other films he's been in, but he's so good in this, I think. Yeah. And it's I mentioned earlier on, but this is the first mainstream Hollywood thriller headlined by an Asian American actor. So again, oh. tick. Good good to hear. Yeah. But John Chu is just a good actor to lead this kind of film. Anyway, uh, John's got a daughter, so have I. So this film at times hit home pretty hard. Yes. Um, I found myself getting more emotional than I would usually at this kind of film um, at certain points during it. And that maybe that kind of helped my overall impression of the film. But I had a, I really enjoyed this film. I wasn't sure to start with. When the film really kicked in about halfway, for me, that's when it really started to ramp up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the full-on thriller mode isn't necessarily there, but it doesn't mean anything's quite aiming for that. But yeah, the excitement or the the anticipation of what's actually happening or kind of trying to unravel the mystery—that's what keeps you hooked. The first half is slower. Doesn't mean there's any, but again, not necessarily negative. But when it really ramped up after about halfway, that's when I was really hooked, line of sinker. On a side note, a few people did walk out of this film in my really? screening. 
it was about half full because it was opening it was like opening night. It's the first night of screening over here, and it hasn't had a huge amount of uh, coverage in terms of you know billboards, bus stops, magazines, or advertisements on the television. So it's only about half full, but I think people were expecting a full-on thriller. And when mm. they were sort of shown somebody's Facebook account, somebody's Tumblr, or Google Maps, or or just a Windows 95 screens and a mouse, a cursor going across the screen, I don't think they expected that. And I just, I'm guessing that's why they walked out. But they missed a very good film by the end of it. And uh, yeah, if you, <clears> if you like if you like mystery thrillers. Definitely go and see Searching. It is a very good film, very well acted. There are parts of it which I, me and John have spoken about, which mm. you did think, ah, but yeah. for the very most part, I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, if you are a father, then you may, it may hit home slightly harder. But yeah. overall, big fan of this, and John Cho killed it, I think. And- I want to say a couple other things. The opening montage of the film, um, yeah. which is the the computer kind of getting us um, a history of the family, but it's it's reminiscent of Up to me in some ways. Oh yes, and maybe the best um, point. like setup uh, of a film this year. Like um, it's so it's so well done, and it's it really introduces you to the style the film's going to be as well. So, like, yeah. if you did go in not knowing what you were getting into, it's right away you see, oh, okay, this is going to be different. Uh, we're going to see videos and things like that on a computer screen. Um, but, Mike, uh, we, we've talked about our audiences a few times uh, on this podcast. And when we were walking to our seats, the theater I saw it in has the assigned seats. And I noticed the row behind us is full of teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Like, eight teenage girls. And I'm like... My first thought was, are they are we in the wrong theater? Because why are there eight teenage girls at searching? Um, this didn't seem like a movie that would draw that that crowd, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it's also it's not a film that's got a lot of marketing here either. It's not playing at a lot of our smaller theaters. It's only at the the really far big theaters, um, which is just happens to be where I'm going to movies right now, and. Then I got really nervous because they were they were talking a lot during the trailers, and uh, when the movie started, like when the first opening title card, one of them was laughing at something one of the other ones was doing behind us, and I couldn't, you know, I don't know what they were doing, but they were like laughing obnoxiously. So I got real, real worried that it was going to wreck my enjoyment of the movie. They did stop for the most part, but at a point like near like the last fifteen minutes of the movie. Two of them, I guess, had to, I'm assuming, had to use the restroom. And they did not get up quietly. They got up, stomped as loud as I've ever heard anyone stomp in a theater, run across the theater to go to the bathroom, and then ran once they were done. I assume, again, the bathroom. I don't know for sure, but it's the only thing I can think of. And then ran back in to their seats. So while they were trying to do it quickly, it was very loud and noisy, and uh, again, it was the end of the movie, and I think they knew it was like the end, but they couldn't hold it anymore. So I understand, but it didn't make it any better. Um, still, it could have been a lot worse because uh, they, again, were talking and, and giggling a lot um, before the film started. And again, I still, it seemed like they liked it, um, but there was, I got another another concern was uh, early on when everything starts to happen, when like she she starts to appear to be missing or whatever. One of them was making like this, like, oh, oh, and I'm like, oh, God, no. Is this going to be one of those people that comment out loud on everything? 
and it, it stopped. So I was like, okay, maybe one of them said shh or something to her. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, it was. Uh, we went to like a three o'clock show yesterday afternoon. <coughs> yesterday being Saturday, so it wasn't super packed, but there were there were people there. Um, of the three movies I saw yesterday, it definitely had the most people. And, um, yeah, but uh, I, I definitely really really like searching a whole lot. It's good to hear that people are going out to see it because these are the kind of films where people need to go out and see them because people ask for these kind of films where they're slightly different, slightly sort of curveball from what we usually get. But then when we get them, nobody goes to see them. I mean, this film, again, I seem to be the the box office boy today, but 12.7 million is made so far at the box office, which is 50-50 internationally and worldwide, so 6 million each. um, uh, Sorry, domestically and worldwide, $6 million per um, territory. But... I, I, a few of these films we've, we're going to speak about, have spoken about, the, some of the audiences have been just mind-bogglingly annoying. This film wasn't... I had a guy next to me. He was about as far... about No, eight feet away... Ten feet away from me in another row. And he literally had four bags of popcorn. He bought it before wow. he came in. And it was it was like foil packet. Oh, so man. every time you put your hands in it, it was crunching... And this film isn't the loudest film in the world, you know. There's not, there's not yeah. a lot of explosions and like the music to cover it up. Four bags, and he went through the whole film. I'm not, but I'm not going to emulate the noise. But I'll leave it to the people listening. He didn't close his mouth when he ate, oh, and it made man. that disgusting noise. And I, I, ah, oh, that is my biggest pet peeve in the world is that chewing noise when you can hear everything moving. And I was sitting there <coughs> clenching my fist, thinking, oh, "Please, somebody say something to this guy." But Eventually, after he'd eaten his fourth bag in 45 minutes, he stopped. But, um, yeah, in another film, people were talking and laughing through it, uh, as we're going to get to, probably at the end of it. I didn't care, because we'll mention that film later. But, yeah, I'm, it, I'm, I know you've mentioned it as well. It's something you tell your students. But yep. I just wish people would understand that when you pay your money to watch a film, in the nicest way possible, just shut the hell up. Yeah. Watch the film. If you don't like it, okay, get fine either leave or just sit through it but don't talk through it don't get your phone out which i see so much now yeah the popcorn thing fine if you're going to eat it from a bag whatever but it's the talking and the you know being distraction and disrespectful and i know i'm going to not going to go off on a rant because i'm going to be that guy but it winds me up so much because i pay to see that film like everybody else does and i'm it just boggles me when you think someone could sit there and just be so obnoxious. But yeah, that's yeah. my rant done for the month. But um, <laughs> it does kind of reassure me in a weird, morbid way that it's not just here that happens as well. Yeah, I, I totally like the inconsiderate people exist outside of just America. And that does, especially with the uh, stereotypes that I hear so often of Americans, it, it helps me feel a little better, too, that it's happening in other countries. Yeah, there's 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 plenty over here, but I mean that was that that searching was a different kind of film to to what we're going to speak about next. I think it's probably fair to say. Yes, very much so. The next film is uh, Disney's Christopher Robin. Uh, obviously, Walt Disney uh, Motion Pictures, directed by Mark Forster, and it stars Ewan McGregor, Hayley Atwell, Bronte Car- Carmichael, Mark Gattis, and it has the voices of Jim Cummings, Brad Garrett, Nick Mohammed. Peter Capaldi, Sarah Ocanedo, Sarah Sheen, and good old Toby Jones. Um, yep. I loved Winnie the Pooh as a child. I, uh, everything about it, from the Hundred Acre Woods to playing Pooh Sticks, to the idea that 
if I keep eating honey, I might eventually like it. But it never looked, it never looked like it did in Winnie the Pooh. No. It's the, you know, everybody knows the Winnie the Pooh, the characters. Everybody knows the theme song. Um, it's just synonymous <laughs> with childhood, I think, around the world. I think. And I know we had a we had Goodbye Christopher Robin last year, which kind of told a tale of Christopher Robin as a boy. This tells the story of Christopher Robin as a fully full grown man. He's got his own, he's got a family, he's got his own life in London, away from the countryside and Hundred Acre Wood. And he's forgotten about Pooh. He's forgotten about all of his friends as he was as a grown up as a kid. And it's kind of a story, obviously, about him, you know, rekindling his passion for his childhood and whilst trying to balance family life and sanity, essentially. But I. I mentioned in my review that when you do something about Winnie the Pooh, you're going to have nostalgia all over it because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, that's what that's what uh, people think when they think of Pooh. And I think this film actually manages to use nostalgia well. The way it weaves in the old theme into the score, just, got, just so you know it's there, I thought the voice acting was absolutely spot on. I thought it was fantastic, the voice acting. I liked Ewan McGregor. I thought Hayley Atmel was, you know, criminally underused. Yeah. We mentioned child actors and Bronte Carmichael. God bless her. For some of the movies, she was wonderful. And for other parts, I was gritting my teeth. Some of it was not good. And I I always feel a pang of guilt because, you know, the young actor learning their trade. Everybody, you know, you've got to... Not everybody's going to excel in every role they do. But I didn't particularly buy... Her character and it did annoy me at times to be honest but in terms of the film i i liked the film i didn't love it like i wanted to i felt when the gang worked when the gang Pooh and piglet and everybody else wasn't on screen that's where i thought thought that the movie stumbled slightly yeah, yeah. and also a shout out to eeyore as well because he's oh. just as grumpy as he always ever was but i so yeah for me i liked it i didn't love it i loved Re- reconnecting with the characters and hearing the stories and taking me back to my own childhood. But yeah, when it kind of took on that more real life slant, not because the acting or the story was bad, because the acting isn't bad. Ewan McGregor is as good as he usually is, but I just wasn't invested in the real world stories. I was within the, uh, you know, the AA Milne story, but I liked it. I didn't love it. How about yourself? Um, I, I ended up, I would say I loved it, but because of the Pooh characters, like, um, I'm a huge fan of Eeyore. And so like, even just the mention of him, and I, I thought he was, uh, probably my favorite part of the movie, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I, I am interested. I don't know if you heard, uh, Chris O'Dowd did all the voice acting for Tigger originally and in test screenings, it didn't do well. So they had the, the, I, I forget his name now, but the guy who voiced him in the movie, who no, voices Pooh. Yes, uh, who's voiced him for years, redid it, and that tested better. So uh, apparently there's a version with Chris O'Dowd as Tigger that I would like to hear because I am a very big Chris O'Dowd fan. Um, I don't know, you know, why it didn't do well, but I, I, to me, he, like, would be really funny in that role. But um, the the thing that won me over the most, aside from the, the Pooh characters, was uh, Ewan McGregor's character, Christopher Robin, um, forgetting how much he loved the characters and how much he needed them for so long. And I, the, I connected with that because I forgot how much of a Winnie the Pooh fan I used to be until watching this movie. And it, it, 
was I felt like I was going through the same journey he was going through, you know, that um, I had put away childish things and now they were being put in my face. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I forgot how great these were. And um, I think that's where the it's definitely nostalgia, but it definitely it hit me on a narrative level. And, and that's not normal for nostalgia where like I was I felt like I was part of the story almost. Um, experiencing what he was experiencing and the joy that you saw McGregor uh, slowly, you know, he's resistant to at first, but even <clears throat> some of the little drops of wisdom, like the balloon, like there's a whole thing with the balloon and how it makes him feel better. And it's just, um, there's just some parts that were so adorable and so heartwarming. Um, the ending is extremely sappy and way over, <laughs> overwritten. Um, just like, Oh God, it's, it's, it's bad, but it wasn't enough to wreck the experience of the whole movie for me. And I, I do, I do acknowledge there's some stuff wrong with this film, but it, it worked for me. I had a, I had a really good time. I was with my wife. We both really were invested. Um, I don't think I cried, but I did like choke up a couple of times, especially, uh, Christopher Robin isn't the best person as an adult. He's not a bad person, but he, he's got a short temper and he, yeah. he lashes out a couple of times and it, it upset me. Um, and you know the story is not original per se like with the whole um guy works too hard and uh it's some of the things that annoyed me with the the story is like um Haley Atwell's character plays the wife of Christopher Robin she gets really really mad at at Christopher Robin um because he's choosing work over family but if he would have for like 3 seconds explained to her why he was choosing work i think she would have been much more grace like accepting yes. of it and I'm just like, dude, just tell her what happened. Like, tell her that your she boss would have is a jerk. Put an end to the whole film. It's yeah. true. If he just said that. And think movies that do that often upset me because it's like, no, no, he's not a moron. Like, this isn't like he's being a jerk. Because if he was just a jerk who's just like, no, no, I don't have time for my family. You know, the Ebenezer Scrooge thing where it's like money, money, money. I don't care about anything else. Okay, that's a different story and I can buy into it. But. Here, it's just like simple communication was not used, and that upsets me. It's like, come on. I don't believe for a second that they don't talk. Like, they're, we're supposed to buy in that they were happily in love for a while. And, like, I just feel like he would have been like, honey, you don't understand. This is what's going to happen if I don't work. And she would have been like, oh, my goodness, that guy's evil. But uh, clearly, you must work because you have to do this thing so that this doesn't happen. Try. I'm I'm talking circles around spoilers here, but you know, um, and I don't even know if spoilers really matter for this movie because ultimately you're there for the the Winnie the Pooh characters and um, seeing them all. I I like the art design. I think I've heard some people complain about the art design. I think Winnie the Poohs never look cooler, in my opinion. Yeah, and, I think he looks great. Yeah, and I I like Eeyore a lot, even though um I th maybe a little could have been done with his his hair or his mane a little uh to make it look a little better than it does but i really liked eeyore and man like you said the voice acting for the the cast was great but eeyore just to me nails it like every little moment the little jokes that he gets um spot on yeah i i i enjoyed christopher robin uh probably far more than i should have but i did eeyore's just as depressed here as he ever has been by the way guys yeah. so it's just brilliant um yeah i there's that moment you mentioned about when Christopher Robin isn't isn't the nicest person, and yeah, there's a couple of moments, and there's one in particular that I'm going to mention. But one in particular, which makes me sad thinking about it, when he lashes out, and uh, I did at that point I thought, 
if I'm ever going to cry at a movie about Winnie the Pooh, it'd be now. Yeah. But um, I couldn't. <laughs> it's such a sad moment. Um, but you know, it. Chris Robin isn't a bad person. He just should have opened his mouth to his wife and just said, "Look, this is what's happening." Yeah. I am sorry that I've ever been, but. And then you know, we could, they could have. They could have at least. You know, been a bit. <laughs> it could have been. A bit happier, put it like that. But I, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike this film at all. No, I just, it's, it's a lovely bit of quaintness. It's very, again, it's got a lovely British feel to it in the countryside, and that to me is obviously gravitate towards that. But and when it embraces that nostalgia, it definitely works. Like you say, the voice acting is, it's brilliant. It's just, it was just like Jim Cummings from <laughs> Pooh was just like being taken back 20, 30 years to however long it was when I, when we were kids, thirty odd years to hearing that voice again. And, you know, I thought visually, I thought the first thing, the animation on them was fantastic. I thought they looked yeah. great. But I also thought in terms of, like, stylistic, I thought they looked good as well. I haven't really heard anyone say much about their design, but I, you know, I thought they looked good. I thought they fit the surroundings that they, that they were in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's those modern world, modern times and the tone that we got from that is what I didn't, particularly riff with again not because it was terrible but i think i was just having so much fun with the old gang once more that yeah that's what i wanted to see more of but obviously i understand you couldn't we couldn't have that but also just um, a quick mention of mark forster's resume because he's a very diverse director he's gone he did the absolute turgid quantum of solace mm, um yeah very good world war z the kite runner stranger in fiction monsters ball finding neverland and this so he's he's been there, been there and done it, and I like his. I might not like all his films, but I like him where he puts himself and puts himself out there to do these kind of films. And I, I, I thought this was a pretty good film. One hundred thirty-one point three million worldwide says it's doing pretty well, but again, seventy-five percent of that has come from the United States, which does surprise me somewhat. Yeah. Um, anything with Disney usually brings in the money just because of the name. So yeah. I, I think this. I, I think I'd say to me. I'd say to me the movie's underperforming slightly. I, I haven't got the budget figures to hand, so I don't know what the deficit is there. But I would have thought a Disney film about Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin would would be aiming, you know, be looking at at least two hundred million. Yeah. Worldwide. Well, and you look at like Beauty and the Beast from last year and how well that did. Oh, um, oh yeah. But the live action Disney adaptations are—I don't know, man—they've been hit or miss. I mean, this isn't technically an adaptation because it's not based on another existing winnie the pooh movie like like beauty and the beast is obviously just almost a complete remake of the animated movie um same with cinderella and i i dumbo with uh, tim burton's dumbo looks to be that way and um guy Ritchie's uh aladdin, aladdin. yeah oh man um i'm there, interested to see the cockney aladdin dude uh will smith as the genie is gonna be the make or break of mm-hmm. that movie um in my opinion because let's be real like the genies prop genie and the carpet are the best parts of the animated uh movie so i love mason will smith but uh yeah Uh, yeah, i just don't know like obviously i would assume it's going to be a different and i mean you got to wonder too which guy richie are we getting you know are we getting snatch guy richie are we getting uh arthur legend of the sword i mean you know um because the cg in that movie was an atrocity and yeah, I, I don't know. These Disney adaptations, these live-action versions, I'm getting skeptical. Um, I was skeptical from the get-go, but uh, 
you know, I hope they're all good. Cause I, I want every movie to be good, especially if I'm going to watch it. I don't want to sit through some crap, but, um, I did like this one, even though, again, I don't, I don't know that it's, uh, the movie's definitely got some flaws, but it, it won me over with the charm from the, the Winnie the Pooh characters. So. Yep. I, I agree with that. It, I, I, I don't mean to sound so down on the film, but I, there were times in it where I wasn't fully immersed in the film. I wasn't sitting there checking my watch or anything like that, but there were times when I was just waiting for the film to get back to um, those kind of more magical moments. And mm. maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's what I wanted to see. But uh, when it when it, when it got to that real world, I wasn't invested in the characters. I liked the acting, and I'm always a massive fan of Ewan McGregor. I think I think he was enjoying being in this film. I think that showed. And But, yeah, to me it was pretty good i just hoped it could have been a step or two up for me yeah man the ending is real bad too like all of the characters like you said a lot of the character and even the story like how it ends and the solution he offers to the problem is kind of ridiculous like it's it's pretty bad there but you know um again i wasn't there really for christopher robin i do like ewan mcgregor and i thought he does a good job in the role and um you know he's I don't know, man. That dude, I've seen him in some bad movies, and I almost always Mm -hmm. like him anyways. Um, But uh, of the four movies that we spent a lot of time with, um, my favorite was Searching. Um, I think that's the one that I will definitely be adding to my film collection once it comes out. I was really, really impressed with a lot about that film. Um, What about you? That is a good question on the spot. I lean towards Crazy Rich Asians or Searching. I think from what I got out of the film... I will side with you on searching, but that is literally by a hair's breadth because I went into Crazy Rich Asians wanting some fun, and I got the fun. I came out feeling good about myself, feeling mm-hmm. good about life for that few minutes till I got back into the car and had to drive on our roads over here. But yeah, searching <laughs> for me would be, from these four, the best of the four. Yep. And we're going to get into the other movies we saw in August. Uh, we're going to be real quick with most of these. Um, some of these were stinkers. A few of these Matt hasn't had the chance to see yet, um, but I'm going to recommend a couple for sure. Uh, One I saw back in, I think back in June, that you just were able to see now. Um, It's actually out on Blu-ray here already, too. But uh, let's get get into these and say what we thought. Let's start with The Stinker Man, Slender Man. Uh, (laughs) I think the worst movie I've seen this year, and I saw Winchester and Truth or Dare. So it is an atrocity of a film. That's, that, those two films are the ones we go back to for worst films of the year. This is one of the worst films I've seen in the last 10 years. Yeah. This is a just... Ha- I've mentioned it to you and your buddy uh, Big Tuna as well. Mm-hmm. How this film got released, I get that it got stuff cut out of it because of the controversy surrounding the real-life events, but this film is just <laughs> horrible Yeah. from the visual, from the story... From the acting, and I've said before, I really want to like Joey King. There's something about her which yep. I really like, but I can't. She just seems to pick the most crap films. And there's so much in this film which is terrible. And the only good thing about it is the fact that it could have been a good film. And when it's at the end, there's nothing good about this film at all. Apart yeah. from one scene which myself, you, and Big Tuna all had a great laugh about. And all of our screenings had a good laugh about. Yeah. And it shouldn't have been. It wasn't played for a laugh. It was supposed to be scary. And oh man, it's um, not. Um, there's actually nothing in this movie. The atmosphere is not there. The The music is... Uh, it's just... It's a nightmare of a movie. I don't know that I've seen anything this just poorly constructed. Um, and it's a 
interesting premise. The idea of Slenderman yeah. is scary. The execution was not. Um, and I mean, God, we could probably do a whole hour on how bad it is because it is bad. Uh, it's the worst film I've seen in about in the last decade. I think, it, if not the worst film, it's definitely one of the the worst three films I've seen in yeah. the last ten years. Yeah, and I've seen Sharknado one through four, <laughs> and I would still put like at least those are fun. Like Slenderman has nothing redeeming about it. Um, and it's, for anybody out listening, yes, The Last Jedi is better than this film for the haters. Yes, the, yeah, I love The Last Jedi. Me too. Um, I I still can't fathom how people look at that movie and think it's bad, but. Um, Happy Time Murders, uh, another, you know, like, could have been really cool, uh, I'm not opposed to a, uh, rated R raunchy puppet movie, um, I think it's got some good stuff in it, and then it has a lot of just junk, a lot of the jokes are really dumb, um, there's so many plot lines that don't go anywhere, uh, for me, I, I didn't hate it, uh, definitely way better than Slenderman, but I, I would say, Unless you really want to see puppets cursing, it's it's skippable. Yeah, it's not. It's probably not one of Melissa McCarthy's better films she's released in recent years. It's yeah, the, the, a lot of the jokes fall flat very early on. The novelty wears like Sausage Party from last year yep. or the year before. It some of the novelty wears thin very quickly. The main jokes are in the trailer. I like some of it. I like some of the voice acting. Yeah, I liked Melissa McCarthy in it. I think she tries her damnedest to make something out of the film. And but yeah, there's it was for a comedy. I was amazed at how many of the jokes didn't laugh. And when you have resounding silence in your theater, that's when you that's when you know something's going wrong. And yeah. it it had a really interesting premise. You mentioned Who Framed Robert, Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. It had a chance to do something. I'm not gonna say groundbreaking because it's not kid ourselves, but it had a chance to you know do something pretty good and maybe have one or two more films after it. You know, have have some fun with this, but. It just wasn't executed particularly very well. And I was looking forward to this film. But, yeah, not particularly very funny. I wasn't particularly drawn in by it. There were moments in it, of course, which will make which yeah. will make you laugh. But overall, it's just meh. It's just there. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I, I didn't love it. I didn't um, didn't hate it. I, I barely, I wouldn't say I liked it either. But, um, yeah, could, it could have been something more. Um yeah. Next up is a movie that only I got to see, and I don't think it's in the UK yet. But um, I haven't seen this film. Man, it is called Juliet Naked. Um, stars Ethan Hawke, uh, uh, Rose Byrne, and Chris O'Dowd. Um, and it's a Nick Hornby novel who uh, wrote High Fidelity, which is one of my. Um, it's a it's a movie I love. Uh, I connect to a lot, and why I do top five movies because he is top five records and things like that throughout the film. He's constantly doing top five lists. Um, so, uh, I, one, have become a huge Ethan Hawke fan, and I really thought Juliet Naked was, um, like, what you said happened with Crazy Rich Asians, I went in hoping to walk out feeling really good, and I did. I just was smiling, grinning, had a great time with this movie, um, it's, it's, Chris O'Dowd gets to do some really good comedy stuff, uh, Rose Byrne is excellent, she's super charming, and Ethan Hawke, man, he's just... Everything I've seen him in lately has just won me over more and more where I'm definitely a big fan of Ethan Hawke. So uh, if if you get a chance to see Juliet Naked, and apparently uh, the theater I went to yesterday, we went to the early show, like 12 o'clock, but all of the screenings that were the rest of the day were sold out for Juliet wow. Naked. So I don't know. 
I was shocked. I've seen like zero trailers about this movie. I, I only knew about it from um, emails from the uh, the PR people. Uh, and I was like, I was like, oh, man, I like this cast. I, I didn't realize it was a Nick Hornby novel till the credits rolled, actually. Um, and I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense because it definitely uh, clicks with a lot of the same uh, themes and notes from High Fidelity. There's music built into the movie and stuff. And it it's great. Really, really liked it. And if, I just realized the next movie on the list is an Ethan Hawke movie. <clears throat> yes, first reformed, which I saw recently, and you mentioned Ethan Hawke. I'm a big, I am also a big fan of Ethan Hawke. A lot, again, a lot. He's been in a lot of dross over the last ten, fifteen years, but he's. I don't think you'd ever question him as an actor. And this film, <laughs> first reformed, is. I watched it very recently, only in the last few days, because we've only just got it over here. But where I live, anyway, I'm. Struggling, I'm deciding whether to put this as my number one of the year because I thought this film, because I, I don't know how John felt, but I thought this film was spectacular. I thought it was so good. I thought Ethan Hawke was brilliant. I thought the story was great, the way it was, the way the narrative flowed and how it kind of went from voiceover work to, uh, sorry, narration to real world and the way it was played out is a lot of monologue scenes. It's, it was like a stage play at times. Yeah. It was framed like that. It's another A24 film. It's, if you get a chance to see this film, it is, I found it to be a real cathartic experience. I thought it was fantastic. As for the ending, I, oh God, that's what happened. But I thought this film was splendid. I, the ending is where I was not, it's kind of what, confused not confused me but made my feelings about the film shift i'm still i'm still kind of i want to rewatch it because i was i loved it and then the end i was like i'm not sure how i feel about this um and i also still don't know how to interpret it uh so that's where i i felt i do think it's great it's definitely one of the the best of the year and some of the visuals in that movie are gorgeous oh, wow, yeah. um and Hawk's performance is really great. Amanda Seyfried also does really well in this film. Yes. Um, yes, she's very good. And Cedric the Entertainer pops up, which hadn't seen him in a lot lately. Uh, <laughs> for a while. Yeah, but um, there's some really interesting commentary about social issues in the film. It, it's it's strong, and I don't remember his name, but it is directed by the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. Um, and, oh, blimey. Um, this is shameful. Yeah, uh, I yeah keep talking. But no, um, find it. yeah, it's it is in the states. It is on Blu-ray already. So if you miss it in the theater, uh, it's a shame because it definitely w- would have behooved you to see it on the big screen. But uh, if you got like a 4K TV or whatever, there you go. Pick it up at Walmart. It's under 20 bucks from what I saw. Um, I haven't added it to my collection yet, but I I definitely want to because it's one that I feel like it needs to be rewatched and studied and and really looked at um from multiple perspectives and. Uh, my one screening of it, um, I actually saw it uh, the day after my grandmother passed away because I had uh, it was playing far away, um, but I had to take my aunt back to the airport, and I I was able to catch it like right after I dropped her off at the airport. So uh, I got lucky that I saw it in the theater even at all. But um, it's a contemplative you, film, yeah. Yeah, it's Paul Schrader, the director. Um, <laughs> there it is, Paul Schrader, who is fantastic at bringing these kind of stories visually to life. He's a great story writer. Yes, he did Exorcist Dominion, which was awful. Actually, <laughs> actually it was it was 11 above awful. It was okay. 
Um, and that's not my blind biasness, as we know, but it wasn't particularly very good. I also got to say that Ethan Hawke also looked a lot like Father Dyer from The Exorcist in this film. Ah. But I, I thought, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of me- there's a lot of messages. It's, it's very, very grounded in today's world. The messages are aimed at you, the people who are watching this film. It's gonna. It wants to make you think. It wants to make you question what you believe in and everything around you. And there's even a Neil Young protest song thrown in as gospel, which is a massive win for me. But I think for everything worked for me, the yeah, the, the ending, as in like the very, very ending is what I'm talking about, is I've kind of thought, what the... Okay, uh-huh. so that that's well, fine. But I, you know, I'm going to study it and I'm going to look at it and try and work out quite exactly what it meant. Yeah. But as for the rest of the film... I thought it was fantastic, and yeah, and Amanda Seyfried. Am I right in saying I'm not sure you're the biggest fan of her? Is that right? Um, I'm. She's growing on me. Uh, yeah, I thought my, she was very good. I don't like Les Mis, um, and that was my first like acknowledgement of who she was. Um, I do like her in Mean Girls, but she's like relegated to a very side character in Mean yeah. Girls. And um, but like Mamma Mia, I thought she was good, and uh, even though I don't love the first one, I like the sequel more. Um, but because of Lily James, not so mm-hmm. much everyone else, but um. Yeah, uh, she's she's grown. I mean, I thought she's really good in this movie. Um, but yeah. well, um, I think this argument to put this as number one. That's how much I enjoyed this film. So uh, yeah, hope I hope I haven't overhyped it for anyone. But I thought it was fantastic. Wait till you see Blind Spotting. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It may not resonate as much as it did for me. But I, Blind Spotting is my. I, I would be surprised if something bumps it off my number one. Um, Spy Who Dumped Me was early in the month. Uh, I was underwhelmed and didn't dislike it, but uh, also thought some scenes went on way too long. Um, in particular, the trapeze scene, I thought goes for way too long with um, Kate McKinnon riffing, and it just doesn't... Uh, I just wanted it to end. Um, overall, I thought it was fine. Nothing great, nothing nothing bad. I had more fun than I ex- expected of this film. I really enjoyed it. It's not going to be in. My, it's not going to attack my top twenty of the year, but I really enjoyed it. And most of that was down to Mila Kunis, who I uh, and <laughs> Kate McKinnon, who I really enjoy. Kate McKinnon, I think she's a great comedic actress. I really like them together. Yeah, my criticism of the movie was it's two hours long. It didn't need to be two hours long. No. And some of the characterizations, especially things like the trapeze scene, kind of don't really feel don't really work. I get characters have arcs, but when you've got uh, a, a, just a normal person taking on a trained assassin on a trapeze, you do kind of think, well, how do we get from here to here? And, yeah. But for them, I, I thought it it made me laugh an awful lot. I thought it, I thought some of the action I thought was actually pretty good. It's pretty brutal. Some parts <laughs> of it, you know, it wasn't sure. I don't think whether it was aiming for comedy or action because it kind of, when it mixes the two together, it doesn't always work. But mm-hmm. I thought some of the action set pieces, there's one in a restaurant fairly early on, are pretty good. That was good. The, the comedy for me, I like. I thought it was very funny um, for the most part. And yeah, I for an, another sort of spy send-up, I enjoyed this more than I thought I would do. So it was a pleasant surprise for me. Um, I, I do think the trailer hurt the movie for me too. I saw the trailer so, so many times and so many of the funny moments are in the trailer. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Um, I saw The Little Stranger, which is Lenny Abrahamson's newest film. He did uh, Frank and Room prior to uh, The Little Stranger. Um, I really liked it. It is 
definitely not going to appeal to everybody. Um, it's it's very contemplative and um, it's it's not quite a pe- like period piece. Usually, we think Victorian time. This is like in the after. I think it's after World War Two. It might be after World War One in England um, period. So you know, there's there's electricity, there's cars, but it's still like you know, it's dated and um, yeah. I I was really. Uh, the more I think on it, the more I think I like the movie. So, um, if you get a chance to see The Little Stranger, uh, see it in the theater, because I don't think it's going to be in theaters for too long. Um, it's definitely not going to be that type of draw. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson and uh, Ruth Wilson, um, and an actress, I think Liv Hill is her name. Uh, I saw her at in a film called Jellyfish at Tribeca, mm-hmm. which has been one of my favorites of the, of the festival. It's in my top 20 for the year. Um, I don't know when Jellyfish is going to be available for others to see, uh, but she shows up in a, a important little role in um, Little Stranger. I was like watching the movie the whole time, trying to like, who is that? She looks so familiar. And then when I went digging on IMDb, um, I realized it was a girl from Jellyfish. And I was like, oh, great. Um, I'm glad to see her getting more work. But um, I did- was intrigued by this film um, because I, I saw the synopsis a while ago and I thought it sounded interesting it comes out on the 21st of september in the united kingdom so three mm. more weeks and i like donald gleason i think he's great in lots of things he's been in i think he's quite he's a fairly got a fairly decent range to him so i, I was looking for i think will poulter's in this film and again i think will poulter is excellent he's like that pennywise face about the makeup i like will poulter so i'm looking forward to seeing this film so i'm glad to hear that you know you've got you've given it a positive review yep internet buzz i've seen has been mixed Possibly yeah. for the reasons you just mentioned that, again, without seeing the film, if it doesn't appeal to everybody, then maybe that would be why. But I'm intrigued by it, and it, the synopsis drew me in, so I'm in three weeks' time. I'm looking forward to hopefully coming out and agreeing with you on that. Did you see the next movie? I did see the next movie for my sins. Oh, for your sins? For, for my sins, I did see the film, which was Alpha. Uh, I... I quite, uh, I didn't mind Alpha. I thought it was okay. I thought it, I didn't like the visuals altogether. <laughs> oh. And Morgan Freeman narrates part of it. Quite oh, honestly. really? Um, but I didn't, uh, I wasn't overly sold on this film, I don't think. I'm going to guess that you were. I liked it. Um, I, I didn't, I don't think I would say I love it. Um, I thought the visuals were really great, though. I thought some of the, the like the landscapes and stuff that we see are gorgeous, even though I don't know if they're real or computer generated. Um, some of them definitely seem likely to have been computer generated. Uh, I thought Cody Cody Schmidt McPhee Schmidt McPhee yeah yeah um, was really good as in the character. Um, I did think the marketing kind of missells part of the story that not really but it's 45 minutes into the movie before the boy and his dog story actually starts going yes um so i was a little surprised at that um i didn't know we were gonna like do a flashback narrative either like you know we start with him falling off the cliff and then we flash back to how he got to that point and um that's really what the story is about is like leadership in a lot of ways um and uh the different ways in which one can lead and and you know the, he's told initially that it's uh it's always about being assertive and and firm um implying that showing mercy and having a gentle hand is not acceptable and uh i think the movie pushes against that boundary and i like that in a lot of ways 
Um, especially yeah, how he I... handles the dog, you know, or the wolf. Yeah, there was there was a lot of good within the film. I think for me, it was the uh, the, the story itself didn't grab me what I like I wanted to. I think the fact that it was the fact that it was set in the time period that it was. I like that. I like the fact that they kind of subverted him, took it back there. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, at the heart of it is, you know, your fairly simple major plot point, which is fine. Um, mm. The man and his dog. But again, if you're a dog owner, then you're going to love that. You're going to love the fact that the dog takes center stage, but or the wolf. But yeah, I don't know. It's just something just didn't grab me about it. I don't know what it was. I didn't mm. feel overly connected with the characters. It's not a... It's not. It's not cross. It's, it's no slender man. Put it like that. Yeah, but for it's, sure. Um, it, I enjoyed it. I think more than. I think more than Happy Time Murders. Yeah, but um, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect from Alpha because it's a fairly snappy film. I think it's about an hour and a half long. It is. It's not. It, it's not a long film. It doesn't drag itself out necessarily. But I don't know. It's just. It just didn't fully grasp me. So I'm not going to say it's the worst film of the year. It's oh, not yeah, the best no. film of the year for me. But it's again, definitely I think for me. It's, it's confidently it's made. It's not like uh, Slenderman. Oh, it's not just, a mess, no. Yeah, yeah no. Um, and it's performed well, I would say, uh, collectively, even if, if you don't get into the story. But um, it is, it's is—it's very quiet, and it was a bold choice to, uh, from my understanding, they created the language um, that is used. Yes, they did, yeah, yeah. And then have to use subtitles, which is, you know, you're limiting your audience when you do that, especially for a boy and his dog story, like, you would think your audience would be young children in a lot of ways, and then you make it subtitles, which is going to hinder young children wanting to watch it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So while maybe for authenticity, having a made-up language makes sense, uh, it would have just been easy enough to have them speak English and us just accept that, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I thought that was an impressive choice from the filmmaker. Um, so overall, I, I really liked it. Um, yeah, I think if you like adventure fantasy type films. Then, which I do for a lot of the time. I think you're going to yeah. enjoy this film. I'd say I mean, that it's not, not it's not, not a lot of film. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. It's it's a confident film, but I think as with every cinema film goer, you get those films that sometimes they just don't grab you. I don't think, and I wasn't. I, I didn't go into this film with any preconceptions of what I wanted to be, but I kind of just left <laughs> thinking that was okay. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't come out thinking about the film because on my journey home, I like to, you know, you generally find yourself trying to contemplate what you've just seen, work it out. I didn't really get that of Alpha. I just kind of came out and just carried I mean, on with what I was doing. Important question, Matt. Do you have a dog? Uh, I used to. Well, I used to. My family used to have a dog. Yes. Mm. Just you know, because that's I have two at home, and all I could think about during the movie was like. I wish my dog was with me because yeah, I can uh, see that. Absolutely, and so I think that I think that makes a difference. I think if you're like connected to a dog right now, it, it will you'll be connected to the characters a little more because you're just like ah, protect them. Because um, like my dog will, uh, my dog's my wife's dog. One of one of the dogs is definitely my wife's dog, but I am the alpha, and he will protect me first. Like he, <laughs> like if she play like she'll play hit me or whatever, and he will like get in between us, and he goes after her. Um, so, um, you know, so like I, that, those connections work for me, but, um, next up, well, I like dogs anyway. I, oh, yeah, I yeah. love doggies. Uh, so I'm a big fan of them, but yeah, I wasn't um, implying you hated dogs. So no, 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 <laughs> not like you at all. I will, I will eventually revisit the film and maybe I'll maybe may a little change, but on first viewing, I wasn't, I wasn't grabbed by it. Like I hoped to be. So if I had, had it been a boy and his horse, how would you have felt? 
Oh, I probably would have hated it. Yeah, not a, <laughs> not a fan. Um, I would have been like, why don't you cut that thing open and sleep inside it? Go, Leo. Um, uh, that was a Revenant joke. Um, mile 22. Did you see this? I have a confession to make, as Dave Grohl once did about this film. I haven't seen it because there's something about Mark Wahlberg which turns me off. Oh. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's his bravado, his machoism, or if it is simply just the the, the Transformers franchise has soured. Because I know he's done obviously the Patriots Day last year and yeah. the Deepwater Horizon, which I know, which I liked the films. But there's something about Mark Wahlberg in this kind of film, and the trailers really didn't sell it for me. It's just Mark Wahlberg, you know, stoically wisecracking whilst blowing the hell out of everything, and oh, it just the idea of it didn't make me want to see well, it. This I don't the... dislike him, but there's something about him which doesn't make me want to go and watch yeah. his films. This is the fourth movie uh, with Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg together. Yes. Uh, you mentioned two of them, and then they also did The Lone Survivor uh, mm-hmm. before that. And uh, this is the worst, um, for Good. sure. Uh, he is... Did you see The Accountant last year? I did. I enjoyed that. So, okay, there's a scene in this movie where people on headsets who are telling him what to do and stuff are debating what's wrong with the character, like what disorder he has. Um, and one just concludes that he's an asshole. But uh, the others offer things similar to autism because there's a character trait that he's given that um, he has a rubber band on his wrist. And whenever his thoughts are getting too much to handle, he's supposed to pop the rubber band on his wrist. And the, s- the sound and the sensation are going to help him focus. Uh, so you get that popping sound throughout the movie. Um, he yells at almost everybody uh they're all monologues when he's yelling and they often are showing how smart his character is it is awful everything about this movie is awful and what makes it worse is they bring in i'm gonna forget his name but the actor from the raid redemption and the raid 2 uh to and they give him these amazing martial arts sequences but then they are shot and edited the worst way possible they are they're too quick they're too rapid you can't see what's going on um, it is it is erratic and and bland of action sequences. So there's I thought awful awful movie. Not not avoid like the plague rating, which is my lowest rating, but not a total waste of time. There, it's just so many things that I'm annoyed by. There's story elements that don't add up. Uh, Ronda Rousey is not an actress. I'm sorry. Of course, I forgot she was in it. I knew she saw it in the cast. That's another thing that turned me off as well. I, I wouldn't get into a fist fight for her anyway. But no, she'd kill me. But I, but she's as an actress, <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and Mark Wahlberg. I just want to put out there. I don't just like him. He's probably a great guy, and I, I respect what he brought to music with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. I mean, those guys <laughs> haven't been rifled since. But I don't know about the films, which I just can't get into. And this, I watched a trailer for this film, and it also played in front of. Uh, it may have even been uh, Slender Man or something, which didn't help. But it's I, so I saw it on the big screen and just didn't make me want to see it and i like it i love nothing more than a good action film and being able to watch guys shoot each other for two hours but this just didn't grab me whatsoever so hearing your and i respect and i believe your opinions hearing that you say that it's kind of made me feel a bit better i yeah. will sit down and watch it and i will go into the film hoping to enjoy it and all that but i um, do feel slightly better about my decision to not rush out and see it yeah i think you made the right choice um we have one Thank last you. movie I don't know. Uh, did you see this one? This, I haven't. And I've been searching around to try and find it. And nowhere nearby. And I 
you know, I live in a suburban area. I mean, the cinemas it, within there's about four cinemas within half an hour, and I've got London and uh, twenty minutes away on the train. This film isn't showing anywhere yet, oh, and man. I really want to see it. Um, and the film is Black Klansman. Um, I was I took my wife and daughter to see it, which is uh, my daughter is a little uh, social justice warrior. Um, she's all about <laughs> fighting for equality for all people, and um, so I was very excited to take her to see this movie. Uh, nothing she's, wrong with that. Yeah, she's also seen so sorry to bother you, um, blind spotting. Uh, you know, all movies that are dealing with this the cultural change. Um, even I mean, um, there's so many movies this year that have come out that deal with like social issues and that she's she's gone to almost all of them with me and uh but black Klansman, spike lee's new film um i'm gonna forget the actor's name but he's denzel washington's son uh it's a john david, john david washington that's what i was thinking i was i was like leaning towards john david but i didn't want to be wrong um and adam driver who i i i tend to really like driver um in everything that i've seen him in like i'm a big fan of patterson uh oh, that, i love that film uh see as a uh, so many people like just like really i was like what it i don't know what it is about that movie but i just clicked with it so much same here <clears throat> and um black Klansman, uh not not at all similar to patterson but i definitely <laughs> really took what spike lee was doing and, and embraced it i i thought it was super compelling there's amazing performances um it's it's not a comedy and the trailer maybe sells it as a little bit too much of a comedy there is humor in it uh but it's it's not a comedy at all i mean you'll laugh at some moments but it's definitely not a comedy um the idea is crazy and that's the thing this is a true story which i had no clue um this was based on a true story uh it's it's very poignant it, it definitely is uh, especially here in america it deals with a lot of the stuff that we're going through uh spike lee is is not hiding that fact at all he's uh very pointedly uh makes comparisons to today's time even though the film's set in the late 70s uh, you definitely will get references to things that are happening in America right now, um, which made it just all the more impactful. And I won't say w- what happens at the end or how it ends, but Spike Lee did this thing um, before the credits roll and before the music kicks on. He leaves you in silence for a few seconds to sit with the film. And that, I think, was one of the most powerful decisions because it the weight of everything I just w- witnessed... Um, sat with me for a moment and uh you could hear in the theater like there was a, a pin could have dropped and it um it's not a spoiler i swear it's not it's it might sound like it because i'm like selling but uh it may not be what you are thinking would cause something like that is i think why i, I feel like it's not a spoiler it's probably a hundred percent not what you're expecting it to be um and that's not saying it's a twist either that's what I, i'm being as cryptic as i possibly can be but that that has sat with me still when i think about that movie is that that feeling I had when it was all over and the screen was completely black and there was no sound until the credits started to roll up from the bottom that I was just, you know, the, the gravity of the message, the themes that the film tackles. It makes me want to watch this film. And I've, I've heard again, you, the, the buzz around it. I just want to watch a good film and everything I've heard about this film makes me want to see it. The, like you say, the social repercussions, the fact that it's got Spike Lee, the cast, there's so much going for this film, mm-hmm. and that's why I've been searching it out. And I mean, it is out in England, as far as I'm aware. But it, no, I can't find any screenings anywhere, Man. which which worries me and also slightly frustrates me. But I want to ask you the question because I know you're a fan of Sorry to Bother You, mm-hmm. and 
Boots, Boots Riley, the director of that film, has come out recently. Yeah. Kind of, you know, throwing shade at this film, saying, well, look, my film was a better film, basically. Why are you all going to see... Why is everyone raving about this Klansman film? Come and see my film, which is better, blah, blah. What did you think about, firstly, the fact that he came out and did that? And secondly, not in a, not comparing the film's messages, but as technically, did was one better than the other? Um, I definitely liked one more than the other. I, I think... Mm-hmm. Uh... I think Sorry to Bother You was such a unique experience because it is, I mean, you could argue it's an experimental film in a lot of ways. Some of the ways he presents the narrative, um, where the narrative goes is definitely not what you would expect. Um, so it's definitely more innovative and different. I think uh, Black's Klans- Black Klansman is a very straightforward narrative. Um, it is based on a true story. So in that way, um, it's not entirely the true story either. Like it's based on a book that the guy wrote about his experience doing this. And um, from my understanding, the ending, not uh, again, I can't, I can't get into too much, but um, it is, it is again, just more traditional film in a lot of ways. So like if he was saying it from that perspective, yeah, sorry to bother you is, is crazy. And it's the type of film you won't see anything like it this year outside of it. Um, I, I, I had heard, I have not read the article or the whatever you want to call it that he wrote about it, but I heard that he uh, criticized the uh, the fact that the main character was a police officer and that police officers can't be the heroes in stories about the black struggle. Um, and I think Spike Lee grapples with that in this movie in a really interesting way. And I think um, while Spike Lee comes out, I think, clearly with certain messages, like where he's very adamantly like saying his point of view on certain things, I think he leaves up a lot for the audience to decide themselves. And I think that's powerful. Um, and I, I can see Boots Riley also dealing with that. I think they deal with different topics. I, I feel like, uh, sorry to bother you, while there is race is a, a part of it, I think capitalism is a bigger component of the story. And I think racism and race relations is a is the centerpiece of Black Klansmen. So... I think even their their messages are slightly different. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to seeing both because Sorry to Bother You is again an enig- an enigma over here in the United <coughs> Kingdom, mm-hmm. unless you happen to have a very art house indie cinema nearby or live in the trendy parts of London. But I'm looking forward to seeing both of them. And Black Klansman, yeah, I was hoping to have seen it this week, but again, trying to find it is like trying to find a needle in a haystack, which. I'm not sure why that would be, but it just yeah. isn't out. But yeah, I mean, just from what you said, it sounds interesting. It sounds like something which I want to go and see because I like I'd mentioned to you, I love getting in my car late at night because I usually go to the cinema by myself, not because I'm a loner, but because like other people, I quite like just going to watch the film and then coming out and you know having my own time. So I like to get in my car, drive 15, 20 minutes home, and think about the film. And this is the kind of film which I think. Judging by what you said, I'm going to be able to do that. And also oh, yeah. when I get home and get back into bed as well. So looking forward to seeing that. But I guess August. August. I know what I think about it, but as a month, go on. Um, I'd say for the most part, uh, there's some really good stuff. I mean, I, I didn't get to see as many indie films as I would have liked. Um, there's a few other films that released this month. Uh, Madeline's Madeline I've heard a lot of great things about mm-hmm. and it's not playing anywhere near me so I wish I could have seen that um, but even the studio films while I think like it had two of my least favorite of the summer uh, 
it had some other really good ones, Crazy Rich Asians, and Searching isn't a major studio film, but it is Focus Features, which is one of the bigger indie studios. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought both of those were really, really, really strong. So I, I would say August mainly positive. Although again, worst film of the year, hands down. Like you said, maybe worst film in the last decade that I've seen um, came out this month. So that definitely puts a, a little bit of a a negative spin on it. Worst mainstream release of the last decade, pretty one of them, one of the top three. But yeah, I think it, yeah, I, I'd put I'd put as, as a weighted average. I'm, I'd put August as above average. Yeah, I'd give it probably another sort of six and a half out of ten because there are some great films like the four we highlighted anyway. Oh, half of them, Crazy Rich Asians and Searching, mm-hmm. and you had things like First Reformed. And for me, The Spy Who Dumped Him was a pleasant surprise. Um, Slender Man wasn't. Uh, you know, there was, and First Reformed was awesome. There was so many. There was some good moments, but I think it also goes to now show to me that film is now an all year long experience. There's no, you get the summer blockbusters, but they're not the one. To, they're not the ones I'm going to want to see anymore because the summer blockbusters that came out, we got the Meg. It was okay, but mm-hmm. it, you know, it wasn't your, your summer blockbusters <clears throat> of years gone before. August is seemed seeming to be coming that kind of dumping ground now for a lot of yeah films that aren't that great, which usually was. Because it was the beginning of the year. Now you get in the beginning of the year, become a saturated with fantastic films, and obviously the end of the Oscar run-up. But I thought, yeah, it, in a nutshell, it was above average. It was okay. Some great films, but some absolute turkeys. Yeah, and I, I mean, the summer's over now too. So looking back at the summer, yeah. I would say the summer was uh, for for the blockbusters was severely disappointing, with the exception of the Marvel movies and. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um. Yeah, I. It's been a disappointing for mainstream big releases. Yeah, yes. the summer has been a disappointment. I think. Yes, you get. I mean, Affinity War, just on the cusp of summer. Very good film. Solo, I enjoyed it. I did too. But the box office said, said otherwise. otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Mission Impossible was great, but <laughs> but then there was an awful lot of. You know, filler blockbusters, which were which came yep. out and just came and went quickly. I mean, even things like Deadpool two, it came out and then it just kind of went. Yeah, I did I like think. Deadpool two though. I liked it as well. I I enjoyed that film, I, but it kind of with it, Deadpool that kind of resonated more. And I guess maybe it's because I don't know why, but I mean, Ant Man and the Wasp over here it came out as well, and it's kind of just been swallowed up now by some of the rubbish we're getting now, like. We've mentioned Slender Man and all these mm. other films are coming out, or the Meg, which wasn't rubbish, but yeah, films that are just taking its place, coming out, making a few million quid, and then you know being mm. replaced the next week by something else, which isn't particularly that great. There is the argument that there are too many films being released, but I yeah. don't. I, I don't as long think as so, quality, but... yeah, as long as yeah. quality wise, they're great. I'm all for as many films as possible because you're not going to like everything. But I'm. Yeah, yeah. here in the States, we've had a lot of great indie films that came out, and some people got to see them, not enough people went. Uh, Eighth Grade, Blind Spotting, Hearts Beat Loud, um, we had First Reformed here a couple months ago. Uh, there's there's a few others that are, are not popping right away to my brain, but um, I, if, you, if you're looking for something that's really well made, I think trying to find those smaller independent films that are playing, especially if they are playing at one of your bigger theaters, because Eighth Grade came to our big chain here um that's right down the road from me which we don't always get those and i know i went i saw it 
there um uh and it wasn't packed when i went you know it's one of those things it's like here's this great movie and i'm i'm telling everybody that it's here and people are like oh i, I definitely want to see it but i don't know if i'll have the time and i get that but um i know you're going to see some of these other things because i can see the difference in the numbers you know <laughs> exactly the age of storytelling <laughs> i think is starting to rear its head once more people are going very slowly and also appreciating because that sounds like a silly thing to say but those kind of films are starting to make that resurgence where the blockbusters are coming out and they're a lot of them are being shown up for what they are which is a lot of the time not very good yeah. they're therefore the kind of whiz bang wallop and then that's finished with whereas some of these smaller independent films and we've got things like a24 which is just rushing out now with so many brilliant films but they're not the kind of films which are going to make four five six hundred million worldwide but yeah. They are not, for the vast majority, very good films, very well-made films, and films that make you think. And not every film has to make you think, because trust me, I'm looking forward to, to The Predator, to see some Predator yeah. ass-kicking. But, you know, I'm finding myself gravitating a lot more to those smaller films now, because that's where I'm getting the most enjoyment out of. So. Yeah. Um, but also, looking forward to next month, I'm looking forward to your review to The Nun. <laughs> oh, man. I, I like Conjuring and Conjuring 2. Um, I didn't love Conjuring 2. I like Conjuring 2. Um, I, I liked Annabelle, um, the second one, whatever the... Creation. Creation. And, uh, yeah, but The Nun looks awful, man. The trailer looks real bad. Um, and it's only been, they've only had one trailer on top of that. So it's, that's that's not boding well. Um, feels like they're trying real hard to make a, a universe, and that has not been successful for almost no. anybody outside of Marvel. You know? <laughs> exactly. But I think September has got some good films, and some of them are the films we have just gone on a tirade about. They're kind mm. of big blockbuster blow-up action films or or horror films. And I've got to say, I looked at my letterbox list of films of this year I've seen, and the bottom five are all horror films. Which And I love horror films, but the bottom five are all flat-out horror films because this mm -hmm. has been a bad year for horror. People mention Hereditary and things like that, but for horror so the nun is kind of almost like one of the last tentpole films to try and save this year for for horror as well we, so we get halloween in october though so oh man yeah so that i mean then again that's kind of riffing on the past but i'm still yeah. looking forward to that and i've also just got to say mention john show he's just been on my television screen american pie reunions on and he's just shown up so oh thank nice. you john show for reminding me that you can you're also an american pie reunion and the rest of them. So, Well, um, that's it for our episode of uh, Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, Matt, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, from the back on Facebook, just search for What I Watch Tonight, uh, what, what I Watch Tonight.co.uk, all of my reviews, podcasts, collaborations with John, all on there. So head on over there for all that good stuff. And you can find me at BurkeReviews.com um, on Twitter and Instagram at Burke Reviews and uh, like Matt, all of my podcasts and stuff are on BurkeReviews.com. So check those out. Um, subscribe. To, uh, if you like us, please give us a rating on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts to help other people find us. Um, and until next time, Matt, have a good one, bub. You too. Keep it bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody. Blood, 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 bloody. Blood, 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 bloody. Blood, blood, blood.